0: The 93rd Psalm says the Lord reigns he is clothed with majesty the Lord is clothed he has girded himself with strength surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved your throne is established from of old you are from everlasting the floods have lifted up O Lord the floods have lifted up their voice the floods lift up their waves the Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Than the mighty waves of the sea. Your testimonies are very sure. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. Let's see here. Today we're going to be in Leviticus chapter 7. We'll get about half of it done this week. It's Leviticus 7, verses 1 through 21, and this is entitled The Mediator's Duties, Part 2. Verse 1 Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering, it is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering, and its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. Above the kidneys he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. It is a trespass offering. Every male among the priests may eat it, It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. And the priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers any one's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. This is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Besides the cakes, as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. Verse 15, the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. Verse 19, the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness or an unclean animal or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. Now, I offered, uh, before we started, I told Priscilla that uh, if she wanted to leave before the sermon, that she could, because, uh, you know, I said we do a prophecy update, and then we do a sermon, and if you need to get back to Orlando, that's fine. I didn't tell her that we go line by line through the Bible. We started in Genesis, and uh, we went through Exodus, and we, uh, in between them, we went to the book of uh, Ruth, and then in between Exodus and Leviticus, we went to the book of um, Jonah, and so now we're in Leviticus and it is one of those books that a lot of people don't want to read. It's very, very difficult to understand. And unfortunately for you and for anybody else that wasn't here, a lo- everything points to Christ. I mean, every word of it, but I do not re-explain the symbolism all the time. And so a lot of the things I'm going to say, well, this points to Christ. You're just going to have to accept it. And then your job is to go home and watch the previous 10 <laughs> sermons to make sure you understand what's going on. Okay, there you go. There we go. So far, we've gone through the mediator's duties concerning three offerings, the burnt grain and sin offerings. There are two more to look over, the trespass and the peace. These offerings each had special significance to Israel, and they each pointed to a different aspect of their spiritual lives. The final offering, that of the Shalem or peace offering, is divided in this section into three separate types. One of them is the Thanksgiving offering. It is an offering which means more than just your daily giving of thanks, but it is an offering which comes from a heart which is overwhelming with thanks for something wonderful that has happened in the life of the person. This is certain because it involved travel to the place of sacrifice, a sacrifice which had value, and it also required other things to accompany it. In other words, it's not the kind of thing that you would just do every day, but it is something that you would do when the Lord has truly made your day. Now, not too long ago, the quarterly budget was read for the church, and I did the calculation wrong at first. Paul, being a numbers guy, caught my error and said, you undervalued this part by 50%. I thought, that can't be. There's no way. We're a church of 20-some people and an extended audience who would otherwise be unknown to us unless they purposefully made themselves known in one way or another. And on top of that, Despite knowing that we cannot function without the Lord's gracious hand tending to our needs, no call has ever been made to solicit help for our budget, ever. When Paul showed me the correction, I could not believe it. And immediately, my mind went to both gratitude and to a desire to share that gratitude. Our needs had been met and exceeded, something for which I will always be filled with thanks, even if tomorrow I return to my old employment. And in gratitude, I thought about how to share this with our missionaries. So it's very unusual that she shows up on a day when I typed the sermon or gave the sermon because I typed it 10 weeks ago. So this was not by pre-planning. It was just simply by accident that she was one of the beneficiaries. What's that? Not by me, at least. That's right. The Lord directed this. So in gratitude with this, I decided to share it with them as well. The Lord had blessed the church with abundance, and those dependent on the church would share in that. Such is the idea of a thanksgiving offering, and such should be the idea of thanksgiving for each of us. Our text verse today comes from Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. Words cannot describe how truly thankful I am to each person who has helped bring this ministry to the point that it's at. I cannot express it other than to wish for a thousandfold return on all who have helped it to become established. And so, how much more am I also unable to express my thought to the Lord who has, in fact, established us? It is His church, and as long as He feels that we are exalting Him and His word, may we continue. And should we fail to do that, may he determine to not let us take an aberrant path which would lead to a stain upon his name. Instead, I would pray that he would simply stop the flow of blessing and send us to another place where he will again be exalted. In the end, all true thanksgiving belongs to him and to him alone. May we each carry this in our hearts as a reminder that every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Let us be thankful to this great God who leads us and will lead his people faithfully through to a glorious end. Such truth is to be found in his superior word. And so let's turn to that precious word once again, and may God speak to us through his word today, and may his glorious name ever be praised. I have only two thoughts for you today. The first is the law of the trespass offering. It's verses 1 through 10. There are two offerings left which require explanation for Aaron and his sons to properly carry them out. They are the trespass offering and the peace offering. This then takes us back to verses 6-8 and 6-9, which said, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his sons, saying, since that time, there's been no new introduction by the Lord. And so everything that we will see right up until verse 21, which is our last verse of the day, is contained within these instructions for them to know their responsibilities. Verse one, likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. There's no likewise in the Hebrew here. It simply says, and this, the law, the guilt offering. The directions simply move from the previous type of offering to this new one. The directions here are for Aaron and his sons, meaning the priests, to supplement those already given in verses 5, 1 through 13. They are intended for their guidance in the performance of their duties. The asham is a guilt or a trespass offering, which is brought by a person who has violated some precept as was laid out already. The congregation has been explained what infractions require such an offering. Now the priests are being instructed on how to handle it. Verse 1 going on, it is most holy. Kodesh kadashim hu, holy of holies, it. These words are identical to the ending of verse 625 as pertained to the sin offering. The two offerings are extremely similar, but there are a few small differences. The sin offerings dealt with sins for various groups. There was one for the high priest, being the spiritual head of the people. There was one for the whole congregation. There was one for the ruler of the people. And there was one for individual members of the congregation. The trespass offering deals with specific instances of sins which are committed and identified. They are of a type which is of less magnitude than those of the sin offerings. In the committing of their sins, there must be an offering for atonement to come about. The person presents their offerings, and then the priest conducts his duties. Everything is being carefully and minutely detailed because everything ultimately points to the person and the work of Christ. He came to fulfill the law, and the specificity is given to point to his accomplishing just that. Verse 2, in the place where they killed the burnt offering, they shall kill the trespass offering. The place where the burnt offering was slaughtered is identified in Leviticus 1, verse 11. It said, He shall kill it on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle its blood all around on the altar. As we have seen, different terminology is used to describe this same place of slaughter, but the north side of the altar is explicitly the named location. Verse 2 continues, And its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar. As we've seen several times already, the word here means to scatter or to cast. It does not mean to sprinkle. The blood is collected in a bowl, and it is cast upon the sides of the altar. The specificity is necessary to understand the greater pictures which are being made. And so it's important to identify what is being done, when, and why. All of it points to the work of Christ. As for this trespass or guilt offering, the procedures differ from the sin offering here because in the sin offering, and depending on who had committed the sin, the blood was either sprinkled before the Lord and applied to the altar of incense or it was applied to the horns of the brazen altar. And then for both, the rest of it was simply poured out at the base of the altar. Here, it is cast upon the sides of the altar. Verse 3, and he shall offer from it all its fat. Fat in the Bible signifies abundance. It is also considered the richest or choicest part. All associations speak of the person and work of Christ, in whom is the abundance of God's blessing, and he being the source of all true riches, and also being the choicest and fairest as the Son of God. Verse 3 going on, the fat tail. Here the al-yah, or fat tail, is mentioned for the third of only five times. It is the rump or tail which was found on sheep and rams and which is very large. This is specified because in the trespass offering, the animal must always be a ram. Though described already, it's good that we should re-examine it so that you can remember what it was. It is described by Jameson Fawcett Brown. They say, there is in eastern countries a species of sheep, the tails of which are not less than four feet and a half in length. These tails are of a substance between fat and marrow. A sheep of this kind weighs 60 or 70 pounds English weight, of which the tail usually weighs 15 pounds and upwards. When an animal was offered as a trespass offering, this especially marvelous part was reserved for the Lord alone, and it was not to be eaten by the priests, this being the most magnificent example of richness and abundance. It is, in type, a picture of Christ who is certainly the very essence of God's richness and abundance. Along with this fat tale, we continue with the following. Verse 3 going on, and the fat that covers the entrails. As fat signifies abundance in the choicest and richest part, the fat around the entrails signifies the quality of the inner being. The word translated as entrails here is kerev, which signifies the midst or the inward part. It is emblematic of the inward abundance and richness of Christ. It is his inward qualities that are presented as an acceptable offering to God the Father. Verse 4, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks. Translations vary on these words to say either both kidneys with the fat that is on them near the loins or and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and the fat which is on the flanks. What is probable is that the latter is correct. There are two individual types of fat being described, that on the kidneys and that which is on the flanks. Both kidneys with their attached fat were to be removed. The kidneys' position within the body makes them almost inaccessible. When the animal is cut up, they are the last organs which are reached. And because of this, the kidneys in the Bible symbolize the hidden parts of man and thus the mind. In picture, the mind of Christ is returned to God through this sacrifice. His work was acceptable, and therefore God was pleased with his perfect mind as an offering. The term al-ha-kesalim, or by the flanks, indicates the loin which is the seat of the leaf fat. The word is then elsewhere translated as both confidence and foolish. The difference is in how it is applied. It can indicate the place where one puts their hope. This is seen, for example, in Psalm 78, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope, that word there, in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It can also indicate that which is foolish, as in Psalm 49. This is the way of those who are foolish, that word there again, and of their posterity, who approve their sayings, selah, Like sheep, they are laid in the grave. Death shall feed on them. The upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall be consumed in the grave far from their dwelling. The inward parts of a man are what identify him as either dependent on God or who acts independently of him, and thus foolishly. The fat which is identified here looks to Christ who remained faithfully dependent on the Father. This is seen of Christ in Hebrews chapter 5 with these words, who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 4 continues, And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys he shall remove. The Yoteret, or lobe above the liver, was mentioned several times in chapter 3. This was also to be removed from the animal. The liver signifies the seat of emotions and feeling. It is used synonymously with disposition and character. The fat attached to it is thus representative of the entire liver. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah says this, My eyes fail with tears, my bowels are troubled, my liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the sucklings faint in the streets of the city. Everything is used always in a consistent manner in the Bible. Whatever is being used, a rock or water, it always has the same symbolic pictures. This part of the animal symbolizing the disposition and character of Christ, which is wholly acceptable to God as an offering, was likewise to be removed for burning. Verse 5, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as an offering made by fire to the Lord. All of these items from the animal, and each of which represents some aspect of Christ, was to be burnt on the altar. Again, as we have seen, the word for burn here signifies that of incense, and thus it is a sweet-smelling smoke of a sacrifice. They together are typical of his final and complete offering, being a sweet-smelling savor to God on our behalf. He bore the divine wrath in the place of his people. Verse 5 continues, It is a trespass offering. An offense was committed, and these parts of the animal were selected to make atonement for the offense because in them are realized the superior qualities of the perfect Christ. In their burning, symbolic of his perfect execution in the place of our failings, God is well pleased to receive them as an offering of the finest incense. Having satisfied the wrath of God for the committed offense, The rest of the animal was, like the sin offering, granted to the priests, as is next noted. Verse 6, every male among the priests may eat it. All of the males were allowed to partake. It could not be passed on to wives or daughters of the priest. However, we will see later that there are restrictions even on the priests concerning their ability to participate in the eating of this offering. Verse 6 continues, it shall be eaten in a holy place. In order to ensure that no violations of who could eat this might occur, this is now specified. By mandating that it be eaten in a holy place, it excluded anyone unclean, because an unclean person was not allowed into a holy place during the time of their uncleanness. Also, only males could enter such a place. The restriction kept the offering from being taken to anywhere other than a holy place where an unauthorized person could then eat of it. Verse 6 going on, It is most holy. Kodesh, Kadashim, Hu, holy of holies, it. This is identical to the words in verse 1. It is stated again to stress that this offering was to be treated with exceptional care and there was to be no deviation from how it was to be handled. Verse 7, the trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both. Kachatat ka'asham, as the sin offering, as the trespass offering. The rules of the sin offering concerning this precept are found in chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Therefore, anything omitted in the guidelines for one must be then supplied from the directions of the other. Between the two, a full picture of what was expected is seen. Because of the same procedures here, these parts of the service then have the same meaning. In other words, every trespass is considered a sin. Verse 7 continues, The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. One must remember when considering what occurs here. There is a guilty party, there is an offering which transfers that guilt, and there is the priest who conducts the process for atonement. In type, Christ fulfills two of these roles. He is both the offering and he is the offerer. In essence, he partakes of the benefits of the offering of himself to God. It is his to do with as he pleases. But, as we saw, any male of the priests could participate. What is being seen here is that the offering of Christ belongs to Christ, but he can, and he certainly does, share of himself to those he calls as priests. Verse 8 And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. The wording here is clear that the skin of the burnt offering belonged to the officiating priest, as did the flesh of the animal. However, It was understood that the flesh could also be shared with the other male priests. Though this could also be the case with the skins, it is not stated as such. And so at least in type, the skin belonged to the priest who officiated and to him alone to do with as he wished. This then takes us back to the very first time that "or" or skin is seen in the entire Bible. This was in Genesis 3 verse 21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of ore of skin, and clothed them. In this verse, we see that something died in order to cover over the nakedness of these two fallen beings. The ore or skin, comes from the word ur, which means to be exposed or bare. The priest possesses that which covers nakedness, as it was the Lord who made the tunics of skin back in Genesis and then covered Adam and his wife. So it is the Lord who covers us. He is the offering and the priest. The skin of the offering which makes atonement typical of Christ is that which belongs to the officiating priest, also typical of Christ. It is his alone to do with as he wishes. And thus it is Christ alone who possesses the correct covering of the atonement, which is himself. In other words, it completely confirms what it says in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It's perfectly seen in this right here. As always, each thought comes down to Christ and his work for those who come to him. He is the one who can and does cover us from our naked and exposed state before God. He is the atonement, and he is the one who will transform us to his likeness in the twinkling of an eye. Verse 9. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. There was a portion of these offerings which was removed and which was presented on the altar to the Lord. After that, the rest of the prepared grain offerings were outlined in verses 2-4 through 2-10. They belong solely to the officiating priest. Verse 10, every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all of the sons of Aaron to one as much as the other. The other grain offerings which were not prepared belong to all of the sons of Aaron. These are noted in verses 2-1, 2-15, and 5:11. As they were grain which had not been prepared, they became common property of the priests. The terms here will show us the pictures we need to see. The word for mixed is balal. It gives the sense of confusion, as when the Lord confused the languages of the people in Genesis chapter 11. The grain becomes mixed or confused with the oil. The other word dry is new in scripture, charev. It is connected to the more common verb, harav, which gives the idea of being desolate, dried up, or decayed. In turn, it comes from a root which indicates to be parched through drought. Here then we have the symbolism which is similar to the hide and the flesh of the animal. The flesh belonged to the priest, but it could be shared with the other priests, as specifically noted but the skin belonged to the priest alone without any note of it being shared. The same thing happens here. The prepared offering, that which has had a change in its appearance, belonged to the priest just as the skinning of the animal changed its appearance. The flesh could be shared with the other priests just as the unprepared grain offerings were to be shared. The flesh speaks of that which is earthly. The oil and grain mixture looks to that which is confused. The dry grain looks to that which is parched. All are states of fallen man, and all belong to the priests. It is their duty to prepare them, and it is the duty of the priesthood of believers to prepare the world's people for Christ. However, that which is prepared, or which has been transformed, belongs to the officiating priest alone, who is typical of Christ, who alone can and does make the transformation complete in fallen man. I don't know if you caught what I just said, but it is really astonishing, these pictures which are being given to us. Everything, every even single word points to what Christ has done for the people of the world. The offering is most holy to make atonement for you. It is a trespass offering meant to restore, covering your sin. This is what is expected, and so you shall follow through. It will keep you from being done in. In the rite which I have ordained to be completed, follow the details carefully. They speak of my son in adhering to my word, you shall not be unseated, as my attending priest ensure each step is properly done. And for both layman and priest, to you this I say, there is a reward for following carefully through. Be obedient to my word, tending to each precept along the way, and in due time I will send my son. I will make all things new. Our second thought today is the law of the peace offering. as verses 11 through 21. Verse 11, this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. Now, before I go on, I want to explain something to you. The peace offering or fellowship offering is very similar to what we will do after the service when we take the Lord's Supper. If you remember that, as I'm explaining to you this, it'll make much more sense to you. In Hebrew, the sentence begins with, and it is a continuation of the same line of thought, but with a new type of offering for the priest's instruction which is now added to what was given in chapter 3. There are three individual types of peace offerings to be explained. One is for thanksgiving, one is for fulfillment of a vow, and one is as a free will offering. The he in this verse is not speaking of the priest, but of the one to offer. Therefore, it can be translated, some of your Bibles will say any of these, one, anyone, or even in the passive, which shall be offered. This is true with the coming verses as well. Verse 12, if he offers it for a thanksgiving, surprisingly maybe, but this is the very first time that Todah or thanksgiving is mentioned in the entire Bible. Now think of that because this is, we're at about year 2100 of human history from the creation of the world and it's the first time that the word thanksgiving is mentioned. The word comes from Yada, which means praise, but it gives the sense of throwing or casting. One can see that in thanksgiving, there is a casting out of praise to the Lord. Such an offering would be brought to the Lord to acknowledge some special mercy or favor which had been received, such as deliverance from an illness or maybe from captivity or something similar. One would naturally be so grateful that they would go further than just praising God with their lips. Instead, they would want to make an outward demonstration of their gratitude. Verse 12 continues, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving. The sacrifice of thanksgiving is that which was mentioned in chapter 3, it being an animal of the herd or the flock. Verse 12 going on, Unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Each of these has been previously seen, and each made marvelous pictures of Christ. If you want to review the unleavened cakes mixed with oil and the unleavened wafers anointed with oil, they're first described in Exodus chapter 29. The cakes of blended flour mixed with oil are closely described to those in Leviticus chapter 2. Rereading or re-watching those sermons will keep you from watching too much TV, and so it's highly recommended. It should be noted that no specific amount of these things are provided. Thus, it's totally up to the giver as to how thankful he is and how much he will thus give in appreciation for the favor he has been so blessed with. Verse 13, Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. In addition to the three types of cakes mentioned already, he was to bring leavened. Yes, leavened bread with the sacrifice. This is one of only two times in the entire Bible that leaven was to be brought forth as an offering. So I want you to highlight that in your Bible so you don't forget that. The other time is during the Feast of Shavuot, or Pentecost, which is detailed in Leviticus 23. One must ask, why would leaven, which pictures sin, be brought forward as an offering? The answer is that as a peace offering of thanksgiving, it is acknowledging that the Lord has accepted his offering despite his sin. The Lord will not turn away an offering of thanks even from a fallen, sin-filled man. This offering is noted in Amos chapter four as being inclusive of leaven. Here's what it says there. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings for this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord, your God. The Lord states these words, however, as a rebuke. Their offerings were as sinful as they were sin filled. They were made as external shows, but there was no sincerity or truth behind their giving. Verse 14, and from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord. These cakes, including the one with leaven, were to be lifted as a terumah or heave offering to the Lord. However, none of these were to be burnt on the altar. It would be completely against the grain of Scripture to think that an offering which included something typical of sin would be so offered to the Lord. Christ was wholly sinless. This is an offering to the Lord not of himself, but of the grateful state of one towards him. Verse 14 continues, It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. This is speaking of the heave offering of one of each of the cakes. From there it is implied then, and it is stated in Jewish tradition that the remainder of the cakes were returned to the offerer. Verse 15, The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. This prohibition is similar to that of the Passover lamb, which is found in Exodus 12, and the manna, which is found in Exodus chapter 16. Both of these were types of Christ, and so it is reasonable to assume that this third prohibition points to him as well. This is especially so because the other two types of peace offerings are less stringent in this regard. What seems probable is that the thanksgiving is for something which has been accomplished such as deliverance from affliction of some sort. God delivered or provided, and so it wouldn't be appropriate for an acknowledgement of that to be dragged out. To consume the offering over more than one day would be to do just that. Thus, one would be benefiting off the Lord's deliverance instead of being grateful for it. If there was too much for one person to eat it, he then should share the offerings with others, such as is explicitly described of this offering in Deuteronomy chapter 12. To not do so would be not showing the thanks that the offering implied. And to not share Christ, following in the same way, the same self centered way, who is saved? Huh? Who is saved here? Who is truly grateful for that salvation? And yet who is unwilling to share what they have been given in Christ? That's what I'd ask each one of you today. Who is saved? Who is grateful for that salvation? And who is willing to? To pass that on to others we got a person here that has been devoted her life from a young age to sharing christ but some of us just watch tv and we watch prophecy updates and we never go out and tell people about jesus we've got a whole rack full of tracks over there you can fill your pockets with them right just set them down at the table at the restaurant set them at the bank when you walk out share christ this is what's being seen in this offering right here this then is a theme which is fully developed by the author of hebrews here's what it says Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Verse 16, but if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, the difference between these two is that a nader or vow is something promised. It is in anticipation of its fulfillment. Some benefit is expected concerning peace between the Lord and the offerer. On the other hand, a nedeva, or voluntary offering, is simply the tribute of a heart filled with rejoicing in the peace of the Lord. An example of the first would be the vows that were made by the sailors who were with Jonah. They were delivered by him, and so they made sacrifices, but they also made vows intending to continue the relationship with him. And they were thus in anticipation of a right standing before him, peace with him being their future hope. The voluntary offering, however, is not specifically one of thanksgiving, but rather of simple gratitude. This is seen in the one hundred and nineteenth Psalm, where it says this Accept I pray the free will offerings of my mouth, O Lord, and teach me your judgments. Verse sixteen continues, It shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice, but On the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. Unlike the Thanksgiving offering, either of these could be eaten on the second day as well. One would not tread on the Lord's kindness by allowing either of these to be eaten over a second day. In fact, both of these are more personal than the Thanksgiving offering, which should rightly be shared. A person may travel to the tabernacle in order to make such a vow and have a desire to slowly meditate on the offering and carefully petition the Lord through the offering. And so a second day is allowed for it to be eaten. Verse 17, the remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. An offering which was held to the third day would be susceptible to corruption. Also, it might be that instead of obedience to the precept, it would be used for something like superstitious fulfillment. I'm gonna keep these bones for a talisman or something. Or if the attending priest, he might be saving up the offering against a shortcoming and the offerings that might later come. If so, then it would show a complete lack of trust in the Lord's provision. And finally, this prohibition certainly looks forward to Christ, who was resurrected on the third day and who saw no corruption. As this is a peace offering which is shared in by both the Lord and the offerer, it would be wholly unsuited to that typology. Verse 18, and if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. In this passage here, there is a rare word which is introduced into scripture. It's pigul. It's translated here as abomination. It is seen just four times in the Bible, and it gives the idea of a foul thing. It comes from a root which means to stink. Thus it is figuratively used as something ceremonially unclean. The word abomination is used by most translations, but another word is often translated that way, and so it confuses the meaning of this special word. Something more specific like putrid thing would be better to more fully convey the idea. There is death which is turned to stink. Nothing of the peace offering was to be consumed on the third day, And if it was, the offering would no longer be accepted by the Lord, and there would be no credit imputed to the offerer. For a person to make such an offering then, to be so stingy as to allow it to start to rot, it would show that the offering was more important to him than the purpose of the offering. For this reason, it says that the person who did eat of it would bear guilt. This is considered a most serious matter, and a warning would have been clearly given by the priest when the offering was made. Verse 19, the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten, it shall be burned with fire. What this means is that if the flesh of the offering touched an unclean person or anything that was considered unclean, such as an unclean animal or an unclean bowl or an unclean garment or whatever else the law deemed as unclean, that flesh was not to be eaten. Instead, it was to be burned. It was not even to be cast to unclean dogs because it was part of an offering which had been made to the Lord. It is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ burning up our unacceptable deeds. Verse 19 continues, And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. Any flesh of the animal which was not defiled by uncleanness could be eaten, but it could only be eaten by someone who was clean. If there was a person with leprosy, you could not give it to him as a gesture of kindness. To do so would mix the holy with the profane, and it would be an offense to God who sanctified the offering. The offering itself would then become defiled. Verse 20, but the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. This must be speaking of someone who is knowingly unclean. Leviticus 5 verse 2 has already shown that a person can be unclean without knowing it. If so, then they would need to make amends for this is an infraction against the Lord. However, if someone knowingly ate of the sacrifice of a peace offering while unclean, they were to be excommunicated from the people of Israel. At times, being cut off can mean the death penalty, but this is probably not the case here, although that still very well may be the case due to the severe nature of the infraction. This that he's talking about in this particular verse is the same thing that we talk about when we give the Lord's Supper. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where he says that some of you have taken this and you have become sick or you have fallen asleep. It's because you have not treated the Lord's Supper as a holy thing. That's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that is the picture we're getting because this is the same type of offering. It's an offering between the person and the Lord. Verse 21 finishes with these words, Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, or any abominable unclean thing, and who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. The passage ends on this stern note. It is especially poignant when considering that this offering was one that was stemming from free will of a person. However, The Lord looks at the intent of the heart. And if the intent of the heart was to defile his offerings, then there would be severe consequences for it. Once again, think of the Lord's table that we're gonna take in a few minutes, all right? And now, I'm gonna take that a little further and think of the churches that offer this in an unholy manner. These United Methodist Church that I talked about today, the Episcopal Church, these churches which are taking the Lord's Supper. And this is what he is warned against in his word. That doesn't mean we're going to get it in this life, but the next life, either we're saved and we're going to go to the judgment seat of Christ, and we are going to be judged for how we take this Lord's Supper, or if we're not saved, we're going to have even greater condemnation when we're cast into the pit of hell. This is very important that we look at these things this way. It's a very stern note, and there would be consequences for our actions, Old Testament and New. The various types of uncleanness mentioned here will be further explained in the chapters ahead. One, however, is introduced here, which is translated as abominable, unclean thing. It is the word shekets, and it's going to be seen 11 times in the Old Testament. It is later used to describe any seafood without fins and scales. It is also used to describe unclean birds, winged insects with four legs, swarming things, creeping things, and the like. If someone had contact with any such thing or any of the other prohibited things and then sat down to eat of the meal... That person was to be cut off from his people. Again, this has probably meant that they were to be separated from Israel. However, it is not beyond the possibility that it meant that they were to be put to death. We've just gone through, and I mean this, when I typed this sermon, it was one of the most difficult sermons I've ever typed. It is one of the most complicated set of verses yet in Scripture, concerning details of things which are almost completely foreign to us. Further, the offerings of these past two sermons have already been detailed once. And now they have more details which were added into them. To try to remember everything seen so far and then to also try to remember everything associated with them would take a brain the size of Manhattan, maybe bigger. The point of going through these ancient words is, as always, to see our desperate need for something greater than the law. To imagine the yoke of the law being brought down on our shoulders and then to assume that we could live up to it is either the height of arrogance or the height of stupidity. It's a coin toss which is more certain. Probably what would happen is you'd flip the coin, it would land on its side and it would shout out, you stupid, arrogant fool. In each offering, Christ is on prominent display, calling out for us to put our burdens behind us, to trust in his completion of these things and to rest in that fully and forever finished work. This is what makes it so very sad when we see people that want to be justified by the law of Moses. They go back and they reinsert the law of Moses into their life, either in part or in full, instead of trusting in the finished work of Christ. Dare we reject such a great offer and go back to that which could never save? I dare say, we dare not. I dare you to say otherwise. It is a self-condemning act. Let us trust in Christ, let us rest in Christ, and let us praise God because of Christ. He is our burnt offering. He is our grain offering. He is our sin offering. He is our trespass offering, and he is our peace offering. And more, he is our Sabbath rest. He is our circumcision. He is our heavenly meal. Let's put away works of the law and be pleased to find our home in the safe recesses of his heart. He loves us so much that he did everything necessary to restore us to our heavenly father. Praise be to God because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I want to real quickly, as I do each week, explain this to you very clearly. The law was given to show us our desperate need for something else. The law was given to drive us directly to the foot of the cross. It was not intended for us to come to the cross, say, I want Jesus, and then to go back and work deeds of the law. And thank goodness for that, because I mentioned uh, animals from the ocean that don't have fins and scales, that leaves out lobster. And I got to tell you what, I love lobster. So for me to say, well, I'm not going to eat lobster because that's a part of the law of Moses is simply slapping Jesus in the face. It's saying to God the Father, what you did for your for us by sending your son and ha- having him hang on the cross of Calvary was insufficient and I can do better and I will work my way to heaven. It is an infinite climb and you will never make it. All you'll do is upset God further and you will re- receive greater condemnation. This is the point behind the book of Galatians in particular. Judaizers coming in and saying, you need to observe the law of Moses in order to be saved. You need to be circumcised in order to be saved. You need to do this and you need to do that. And Paul says, no, Christ is our rest. Christ is our full and complete satisfaction of the law. If you are clinging to deeds of the law, put them behind you. It's a very serious thing that you're doing by treading the precious blood of Jesus Christ under your foot, all right? You need to call on Jesus. You need to ask God to forgive you through his shed blood and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And you will, not if, you will be saved and you will never lose that. But you sure can lose your joy as you go back into deeds of the law and think, oh, you got to do this and I got to do that. It's done. Trust in Christ. Our closing verse comes from Ephesians chapter two. It's verses 14 through 18. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and he has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh, the enmity that is the law of commandments. Speaking of law of Moses contained in ordinances. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off, into those who are near. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Next week is Leviticus 7. It's verses 22 through 38. It will be an interesting sermon. Just you wait and see. It's entitled, The Mediator's Duties, part three. three. That'll be our (laughs) 10th Leviticus sermon. The Lord has you exactly where he wants you. He has a good plan and a purpose for you even if you have a lifetime of sin heaped up behind you, he can wash it away and he can purify you completely and wholly. And so follow him and trust him and he'll do marvelous things for you and through you. Okay. Just like he's doing through this special missionary today, doing marvelous things through her because she's willing to be used of God. Our poem today is called the mediator's duties. Likewise, this is the law of the trespass offering. Most holy is this proffering. In the place where they kill the burn offering, they shall kill the trespass offering as well, and its blood he shall sprinkle all around on the altar, as to you I now do tell. And he shall offer from it all its fat, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails too, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, as I am now instructing you. And the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar. As an offering made by fire to the Lord, it is a trespass offering, and so in this he shall not halter. Every male among the priests may eat it, it shall be eaten in a holy place, it is most holy as to you I submit. The trespass offering is like the sin offering. There is one law for them both, you see. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. This is how it shall be. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, that priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. This is an allowance intended for him. Also, every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it, it shall belong to this man. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other, so they shall comply. This is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord, so shall be these profferings." If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving unleavened cakes with oil mixed, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, or cakes of blended flour mixed with oil, so it shall be fixed. Besides the cakes as his offering, he shall offer unleavened bread with the sacrifice of the thanksgiving of his peace offering, as to you I have specifically said. And from it he shall offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord, It shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering according to this word. The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten on the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it also may be eaten. These directions are concise. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. Be careful to follow what I to you now say. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. So you shall be obedient in this way. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it. And the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. So to you I now submit. The flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. And as for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it, if they so desire. But the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice or the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people, according to my word. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal as well, or any abominable unclean thing, Pay heed as I continue to tell. And who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. So shall it be according to my word. Peace with God, full and complete, has come to us through the blood of Jesus. In him there is fellowship so sweet. Marvelous things he has done for us. And so, O Lord, to you we give our heartfelt praise. And to you, O God, we shall sing out for all of our days. Hallelujah and amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the chance that we have to come to you through Christ and not through a mere bull or goat or ram that can never truly bring us near to you, but was only typical of what he would do for us in its fullness. Thank you for that. Thank you that we can come to you through your son who burned like incense of a sweet smelling sacrifice to you. And you smelled that and you said, it is acceptable. He has fulfilled the law. He has given his life in exchange for the people who have committed sins, and I accept that. And now there is reconciliation complete and whole once again for us to you through him. What a marvelous God you are to give us that. It is beyond comprehension, and yet it is so abundantly clear that it is perfect. It is 100% perfect, and it is truly the only way that you will accept fallen human beings is through the sacrifice of your son. Thank you for those who have called on him and that we can fellowship with. I would pray that there would be peace and harmony among the Christians in this world, those who have truly called out to you, and that they would stand against the forces of wickedness that are infecting your beautiful church and the minds of the people who are so easily led astray. Help people to get into your word and to study it and to be obedient to it so that we can be right and acceptable before you. This we pray in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Amen.